Jonah was a man on the run from God's presence and God's plan. And maybe you have found yourself on that same trajectory. But the good news is the children of God will never outrun the mercy of God. As we explore the Old Testament book of Jonah together, we will be reminded that salvation belongs to the Lord and we will rejoice in the relentless mercy of God. This content is provided by Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Well, I like to I like to start with a, a serious question, and that is, uh, how low can you go? Now, I knew I'd get some laughs because, of course, I'm not talking, but I'm not talking about you know Camden Park roller rink uh, limbo. If you're if you're that if you're that old if you're as old as me, to remember that. Um, I'm talking about how low we can go in life. How low can it get? Uh, some of you have been there. You've been low personally, and I don't mean in space and time. Uh, I mean in your soul, your mind, your heart. How low can it get in the wake of loss? in the wake of failure, in the wake of abuse, in the midst of battles with anxiety or depression, in the midst of a health crisis, even thoughts of ending your own life, of walking away from the people that you love. Maybe right now you still still feel the despair of those times that you've experienced in your life. Because of outside things that brought about in your life circumstances that were out of your control and and so brutal that you found yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually at your lowest point. Maybe 2020 brought some of those moments to you. Maybe it's further back. Maybe it's right now. can be our sin too, though. That's what happened with Jonah. For Jonah, it was his sin that brought him low. Sometimes it's outside circumstances. Sometimes it's our own our own mistakes and our own sin. Breaking trust at the deepest level with the people you love the most. I've been there. Hurting those dearest to you. Breaking a promise. Doing the unthinkable. So maybe right now as I say that, If it was your sin that brought you low, maybe you can still grab hold of a little bit of that shame you felt in that moment, or maybe you're still feeling it. If it was outside circumstances that brought you low, maybe you can still feel those moments. Maybe you're still still in them. I'd like us to be honest today about our desperation and, and need, how low we can be brought by this life. Some say that, that right before you drown, your body goes completely numb. Right? Because your your body shuts down and well it, it stops acting normal. It, it takes your your lungs take control and try to keep you from breathing. And all the blood starts to race to your heart. In those last few seconds you're completely numb. And I say that because we're talking about Jonah. But I also say that because some of you have been brought so low in this life that you felt completely numb to everything around you. You can't even feel pain anymore. That's how low. 
Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've been there in the past. And knowing fully how low life can bring us. Knowing some of your stories about how low you may be now or how low you've been in the past. I don't say this with a single bit of being naive or a single bit of flippancy, but instead of blood earnest love, the relentless mercy of God is deeper than the lowest point that you could ever reach. And God will lift up his children at the right time. That's what we're going to see for Jonah today. Jonah chapter 2 testifies to that truth. That in our lowest moments in this life, we will never have gone lower than the depths of God's mercy. We will never have gone lower than the depths of His grace or the depths of His love. And the sovereign God of the storm is the sovereign God of the rescue. And in His perfect timing, He will always lift up His children. Maybe not as fast as you want Him to, but at the right time. The relentless mercy of God is deeper than the lowest point that you could ever reach, and God will lift up His children at the right time. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. What I want us to see first is how Jonah was brought low by the mercy of God. Here's just some selections from verses 2 through 7. I called to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. That's in verse 2. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 3. Verse 4, I am driven away from your sight. You ever felt that not even God sees you? Not even God wants anything to do with you? You can be honest. I felt that way. In verses 5 and 6, the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Verses 5 and 6, and in verse 7 we read, When my life was fainting away. Jonah was brought low by the mercy of God. And some of you have been brought low By the mercy of God. And that can sound contradictory that mercy would bring low. And it's not always mercy that brings low. Sometimes it's it's other but but that mercy has brought him so low that now he understands his desperation, we'll see. For God. If you haven't been there low, you will be. Count on. Now, I don't say that to be a curmudgeon. It's just reality. You will be brought low. And if you have been brought low, you you don't easily forget it. By the way, it, it, this is supposed to be said later in the, the sermon, but this Jonah didn't write this in the fish. He didn't. It's all in past tense. So at some point later on, maybe immediately after he got uh, was spit out by the fish, maybe later on down the road, he sits down and he remembers being brought low. Vividly. And he writes about it. The distress. What felt like 
the threshold of hell, literally. Sheol, that's the word. Driven away from the face of God, closed in, fainting away. So here he is, brought low. We don't always like to talk about it, right? Like, there are some uh, places, maybe that you've trafficked, whether it's a workplace or even a church, where everyone feels like they have to present their best face. That we can't talk about having been brought low. But the Bible is full of people who have been brought low. Do you remember Hannah? She's, she doesn't get a whole lot of press, but this is a lady who was barren. She couldn't conceive. We read her story in 1 Samuel, and when we see her, she's at her lowest. She is weeping in the house of God, refusing to eat, begging for relief from being brought low. You remember Job? He wished he'd never been born in the midst of his deep suffering. He was brought low. Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find him in the wilderness, curled up under a a broom tree, a small tree, wishing he was dead. Asking God to take his life away. Same thing with Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Brought so low that he wished he'd never been born. And if you've ever read the Psalms, you've, you've read people talk about being at their lowest places. You don't have to be ashamed that you've been brought low. If you're low at your lowest right now, you don't have to be ashamed. It runs in the family. The family of God is filled with people who have been brought low. So Jonah's there, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we're going to see how he responds. Now his example for us has been hit or miss in chapter 1. There's been some things that he's done that we can point to and say that's what we should do. It happened later, towards the end of chapter 1, he begins to proclaim the truth about God. There's been other stuff that he's done that we certainly would not hold up as an example to do. So we don't know, right, if it's your first time reading Jonah, which for none of us it probably is, but but we don't know, is he going to get it right or is he going to get it wrong? Well, in this case, he he gets it right. Verses 2 through 3, we'll see him cry out to God. In verse 4, we'll see him cling on to hope. In verses 5 through 7, we'll see him remember God's faithfulness. And in verses 8 and 9, we'll learn two lessons from the lowest place. So he teaches us. He writes a song about it, a, a poem about it, so that we can learn from him how to respond in the lowest place. But first, this book ending, this book ending to the, to the hymn itself, to the, to the song itself, is this idea of this fish. It's the most famous part of the story. It's the uh, part of it that's, quite frankly, the most hard to believe, the most sounding like a fairy tale, but it's, it's what's made this story end up in every Jesus storybook Bible ever written. Verse 17, we saw, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse 1, these bookends to this, this prayer, this poem, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, and then verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Now this is not a fish story, it's just a story that has a fish in it, but this is the most unbelievable part of the story, or if you're a child, 
who doesn't struggle with faith. It's the most fascinating part of the story. But skeptics abound when it comes to this aspect of the story. And so we can't get out of this sermon series without at least touching on it. I kind of hate that I have to do it, but, but I think it's important that we see this. This is next to impossible. Now, there's stories out there of people actually being swallowed by fish 36 hours or so and then finding their way out. There's a story of a fish, like a giant fish being cut open and there was a horse in there, completely whole, like like completely whole, wasn't alive anymore. But, but it's highly unlikely that you would live through this for three days and three nights. There's so much liquid in the belly of a fish. There's so little oxygen in the belly of a fish. So we have two options. Well, we have three options, I think. The third is not a good one. The third, we can just deny the supernatural. Bad option. Good luck reading this book and not believing that supernatural things happen. So scholars who believe that the Word of God is true and and that the supernatural can happen have, have ruled out this being a fable because Jesus talks about it as if it's a literal event. That's the that's the the stamp of approval, the highest stamp of approval. You get Jesus saying it's real, then it's probably real. So what happens? Some people say that Jesus or that Jonah actually died and was raised to life, right? Like he's praying this stuff as he's drowning, and then and then he's actually raised back to life, spit out of the fish. Now, not not it, not like crazy people either, like scholars, like like really well learned scholars. But but I don't think you can get past verse one and. And believe that. I think the most likely option is that Jonah survived against all likelihood and all probability. It was impossible for him to survive, or next to impossible for him to survive, but he survived. God uh, preserved his life. So it's supernatural, it's outside of science. We're okay with that as Christians. Now, there's places in the Bible where it's clearly hyperbole, or it's clearly um, just a, a story with a moral point, but more often, it's the literal account of what happened, and Jonah is that case. But you know what else can't be explained by the laws of nature? The Red Sea crossing. Water spilling out of a rock. Chariots of fire picking up Elijah at the end of his life. He didn't die. Peter walking on the water. Axe heads swimming like fish up out of the river. You kidding me? Five loaves of bread and two fishes feeding 5,000 people? Scientifically impossible. Can't happen. Lazarus walks out of a grave alive after being dead. So dead that his body stunk. It can't be explained. There's so much from cover to cover in this book that can't be explained in any way except being supernatural. We follow a God who created the universe. And therefore, he he stands in control of it. And if he wants to work outside the rules, he can. Most of the time, he works within the rules. Sometimes he doesn't. And we're okay with that as the people of God. But whatever it looked like in reality for Jonah, the reality is he's brought low. Very, very low. And in the midst of that, he responds. First, he cries out to God, verses 2 and 3. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. What do you do when you're surrounded by waves and billows of this life, and they're crashing down on you, and you feel like you're drowning? Cry out to God. He cries out to uh, Yahweh, his Elohim. That's the words there. Yahweh being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, Elohim being a, a word for, the, for a ruler. Someone who is in control of his life. And it's the God who owns the waves. It's the God who owns the billows. They're his waves. They're his billows. And notice this too. It was the sailors' hands that, that threw him into the sea. But who does he say threw him into the sea? God did. This is a sovereign God that he's praying out to in control of, of all things. But I think even better for us today is that he's a God who hears and he's a God who answers. You don't want to cry out to a God who doesn't hear and a God who doesn't answer. But our God is a God who hears and a God who answers. So cry out in your distress, in your pain, in your despair. Even if your voice is hoarse. Even if you struggle to muster up just enough faith to even pray, cry out to God. He hears. He's listening. He knows your needs. God always hears you all the time. And He always answers in His time. He always hears he always answers. His hearing is continuous. It never stops. It's always happening. His answering comes at the perfect time, but not in your time. It comes in His time. But He always hears. And He always answers. So cry out to God. Now, sometimes when you're brought low, in those very immediate moments, you're at your most desperate. It becomes really easy to pray. I'm desperate. I need help. But what about when... Being brought low lasts for days and weeks and years. When the season of pain, the season of struggle outpaces your ability to hang on. You grow numb. You don't think God's listening. Like Jonah, he felt driven away from the face of the Lord. What about when the answer doesn't come? What about when God is silent? There's an artist named Andrew Peterson. and He writes these words in a, in a song. He says, It'll shake a man's timbers when he loses his heart, when he has to remember what broke him apart. This yoke may be easy, but this burden is not when the crying fields are frozen by the silence of God. And if a man has got to listen to the voices of the mob who are reeling in the throes of all the happiness they've got, when they tell you all their troubles have been nailed up to that cross, then what about the times when even followers get lost? You see, we all get lost sometimes. And some of you have been there where the most deafening answer from God is His silence. 
Don't stop crying out. He's listening. And he will answer at the right time, even when his silence is deafening. Keep crying out. And don't stop clinging to hope. Verses 4 and 5. Then I said, I am driven away from, the, uh, from your sight, yet I shall look again, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. What do you do when you feel driven away from the presence of God? What do you do when you're under the silence of God? Jonah chooses to cling to hope. He clings on to hope. Yet I shall again look upon your temple, is what he says. This is a fancy way of saying, I know that in my future will be a time where I turn myself in the direction of the temple and worship God. One example you may remember to kind of uh, explain this way of speaking is Daniel, the lion's den story. He is goes to his room every day, and he goes to the window, and he prays in the direction of Israel towards the house of God three times a day. And of course, you know the story. They tricked the king into signing that edict. Daniel doesn't stop praying, of course, gets thrown to the lion's den. But that's the idea. I will again look upon the house of the Lord. That means I know that there is hope of restoration. Jonah is hoping not only will God restore my life, but he will restore my opportunity to worship him. He will bring me up from from this seeming death and he will not only save my life, but he will restore my heart. He will restore my soul. And I will worship him. For God, restoration is the way. Restoration is his specialty. It's who he is. Remember we saw Jonah back in, in Second uh, uh, Kings chapter 14. That's his first sighting in scripture. He's delivering a prophecy of restoration. That God will restore the borders of Israel to their original places, even under an evil king. He will do that. Restoration is all through this book. It's everywhere you look in this book. One example, Psalm 14, 7. This is the way God's people speak. This is the way they sing. This is what they believe. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. There are hundreds of verses like that. We are people who desire restoration because we cling to the hope of restoration because we have a God who has restored us time and time and time again. So as the waters are closing in on him, he clings to hope. He cries out to God. He clings to hope. Now, by the way, Jonah could have died. Jonah could have died and restoration would have still been the end of his story. Restoration can be brought about in life and in death. I love this quote by Martin Luther to his enemies. If you will let me live, or if you you will not let me live, then I will die. Thanks, Sherlock. Way to... Figure that out. So, but you won't succeed in that. Chop my head off and it won't harm me. I have a God who will give me a new one. 
of a God who restores, who puts things back the way they should be. So cling on to hope. Even if it has to be a death grip, even if it feels like that hope is slipping out of your hands, cling cling on to hope. Keep crying out to God, keep clinging to hope. And Jonah will tell you that in your lowest lows, if you're going to cry out to God and cling to hope, then you're going to have to remember God's faithfulness, verses 6 and 7. Remember God's faithfulness. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed in upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. The Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now, these verses are not sequential. What he's doing in in the sense of like a timeline. Because he, in verse 6, talks about, spoiler alert, right? But he gives away the end of this chapter. He says God has brought him up from the pit. But in verse 7, he's talking about still uh, his life fainting away. And so this is just his way of of writing this prose. He's talking about the the lowest situation he's in in the the goodness of God. But, But the nugget I want us to take away... Is how he talks about remembering the Lord. In the midst of his fainting away, he tells us what he does. He remembers. Crying out to God is rooted in remembering his faithfulness. And clinging on to hope is rooted in remembering God's faithfulness. We must remember who he is if we will feel any need to cry out to him in our lowest lows. And we must remember who he is if we're going to have the strength to cling on to hope. Because our hope is found in who he is. And his answer to our crying out is found in in who he is. So remember who he is. So much of this Christian life is is about remembering. Jackie Hill Perry, uh, she used to be a rapper. Now she's like a speaker. And she's a great speaker. Fantastic teacher. And uh, and an excellent follow on Twitter, too. She's hilarious. She says this. She was speaking. She said, I just watched a documentary on memory. In it, people who have lost their memory have a hard time describing their future. Not being able to remember somehow hinders their imagination. No wonder God continually beckons us to remember what he's done. Our hope depends on. We are going to cling on to hope. We must be people who remember promises. God knew this for his people as they go in to take the land. He says through Moses to them, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So make them known to your children and your children's children. Be always remembering the Lord. Or you'll forget. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, by the way, (laughs) with a strong arm and a mighty hand. And they get ready to take the promised land. And what do they forget? They forget God. And so God has to send them 40 years in the wilderness circling around. Because they didn't remember. So Moses, who isn't going to get to go in... Says, hey, take a lesson from me, because I'm not getting in because I didn't remember. I'm about to I'm I'm gonna be dead. And y'all are gonna take the promised land. And when you get there, remember the Lord. Don't forget who he is and what he's done. 
coming up, I can remember my dad. I would wake up in the morning, and countless times I would ask my mom, where's dad? Because I couldn't find him. Like, we'd all be hanging out at the breakfast table, and dad would be gone. Even when we would go on vacation, like camp, we'd go camping for two weeks at the end of every summer. And we'd all be out there at the picnic table getting ready to eat breakfast. Where's dad? And my mom would point, and you look over the edge of the campsite, and there my dad would be, off in the woods with his camping chair, Bible in his hands, head down, remembering. Every day, remembering the Lord. We'd be people who remember the Lord. God is continually beckoning his children to remember. So remember the faithfulness of God. If your response in the lowest places is going to be crying out to God and clinging on to hope, then we must remember who he is. Now, two lessons. So that's the playbook that Jonah gives us. In your lowest of lows, cry out to God, cling on to hope, remember the Lord. Now he finishes by telling us two things he learned in the lowest places. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Two lessons. First lesson Idolatry is a hopeless endeavor. I'll explain what that means. Lesson two, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah, in the midst of his lowest lows, desperately needs steadfast love. He needs it. He needs someone to love him. He needs someone to rescue him. He needs someone to be there for him. And everything that he idolized outside of God can't do it. It ain't down there in the water with him. And it ain't in the belly of the fish. He had put his hope in other things. Namely, and get this, Jonah, right, would have been super susceptible right now to this idea that we see around us of people elevating politics above faith in Christ. Jonah wanted the kingdom of God to include Israelites, but not Ninevites. Or at least to be in such a way that maybe all the Israelites got to be up closer to the throne and the Ninevites had to be in the back. Jonah had himself wrapped in the Star of David flag. He had his natural born citizenship papers held high. And he was trying to hold the Torah in the other hand and God said, put down the flag and go to Nineveh and proclaim the truth of God there. And that's when his idolatry was revealed. He was a person who who wanted to uh, put his hope in the nation of Israel and not in the God of Israel. And so his idolatry is revealed and he says it doesn't work. And so I asked myself this week and I ask you, what are you what are you hoping in? Like functionally in your life, and be honest, right? Because we all just have that Sunday school answer, especially if we grew up in church. I'm hoping in God. I'm hoping in God. We know the verses, we can say it, but functionally in your life, day after day after day, what are you hoping in? What are you looking to, right, as your functional source of of salvation and comfort and help, your source of joy and peace. 
Right? Is it Starbucks and Jesus? Or is it just Jesus? Is it football and Jesus? Or is it just Jesus? Those are easy ones. We all know we shouldn't love those things more than more than Jesus. But is it political success for your party of choice and Jesus? Or is it just Jesus? Is it a five-day traditional school week and Jesus? Or is it just Jesus? Where are you going for comfort? For hope? You need your, your spouse to be better? Or can you get by with just Jesus? Do you need that promotion? Or can you get by with just Jesus? I've been saying this to myself for the last... 48 hours and you can hear me say it to myself and maybe God will speak the same thing to you if Jesus will fill the throne of my heart there will be no room remaining the throne of my heart is big enough for one Jesus no one else can sit there and if anything else is sitting there then Jesus isn't sitting there Nothing gets on that throne. So what are you idolizing? Idolatry will never bring you steadfast love. Lastly, and this is the thesis of the whole book of Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. We've seen it. I don't have to hash it out. His salvation comes at an irresistible call. Jonah doesn't have a choice. He thinks he does, but he's going to end up in Nineveh anyway. Salvation will come to the Ninevites regardless of what Jonah does or doesn't do. It's come by His infinite reach. Isaiah the prophet reminds us that God's arm is not short and that it cannot save. He can save people in the middle of a storm on a boat. He, he saves all those sailors. It comes by His relentless mercy. There's nowhere you can flee from God's presence. God will find His children in Israel and He will find His children in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. God will find His children in the church house and he'll find his children in back alleys. And he'll find his children wherever they are. His mercy is relentless. Jonah was deep sea diving in a fish stomach. And God found him there. And God will find you in the lowest places. And he will lift you up. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. God reached down, spoke to that fish, and he lifted Jonah back. His crying out was not in vain. His clinging to hope was not in vain. His remembering of God's faithfulness was not in vain because we have a God of relentless mercy. And his mercy is deeper than the lowest point that you could ever reach. And God will lift up his children at the right time. Jesus is the proof of this as we close. Jesus came from heaven to earth for you. You talk about getting low. Jesus came low. From heaven to earth, that's low. He put flesh on and he, he dwelt among us. And speaking of putting flesh on, he went from, from being uh, divine to bringing on human form as well. Fully God and fully man. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on human form. You talk about coming low. 
He came low for his children. Jesus condescended himself by becoming obedient to the point of crucifixion. A criminal's death. The righteous one never sinned, condescended. He came low and he died the death of a criminal. And child of God, for you, Jesus went as low as death and the grave. Isaiah prophesied this. He said he'd make his his grave among the wicked. And Jesus, his friends, would muster together a, a burial that would have been honorable for a human. But Jesus was God. And at the end of the day, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords deserved a, a burial way better than that. He was buried amongst wicked men. But God came low on the third day. And he reached down into death and he raised his son back to life. So, if you're low today, have hope. You cannot go lower than the mercy of God. You cannot go lower than the arms of God reaching out to rescue his children. And when you cry out, he hears you. And when you cling on to hope, your hope is not in vain. And when you remember the faithfulness of God, you are banking on a God who always comes through for His children. Relentless mercy is deeper than the lowest point you could ever go. And God will lift up His children at the right time. So how do we respond to this? As we read Jonah chapter 2, what is it that God is calling us to do in, the, in, the, in response to, to this? This truth. Well, if you're not a Christian, response number one, trust Christ as your Savior today. He will lift you up. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He will take you from sinner separated from God and He will lift you up to son or daughter of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ, trust Him today. And if you are a child of God, my application for us today is is remember by recounting. I want to call us in the week to come to remember the Lord. I almost went to Jonah verse uh, verse 9 because he has this thing that he does in the wake. He has thanksgiving and sacrifice and, and follow through and there's some great application there. But there's other application in the passage. And the Holy Ghost kept nudging me back to this one. Verse 7, remember the Lord. Might we be people who remember through recounting the truth about Jesus, celebrating the faithfulness of God. We talk about a lot of things when we get together. We talk about a lot of things when we talk to ourselves. And I don't mean audibly, but when we play conversations through in our head. Might we be people who are remembering by recounting the truth about God to ourselves to our families, to the people around us, and yes, to one another, even in this this church plant. That we would celebrate what God has done, those times that He brought us low, which will require you to be vulnerable, to talk about those low points of your life. Be vulnerable. And talk about the times where God reached down and lifted you up. The reason God kept nudging me to this is because this is what He was placing on my heart in this passage. I'm going to be really frank. I, I grew up in a home with missionary parents. We were poor. 
Uh, just one example. There's a bunch of these stories. We didn't have enough money even to go tent camping. That's how we did our vacation. And so my dad brings us in around the table and we all join hands and we begin to pray that God will provide. We packed the car. We packed the car and then we got around the kitchen table and started to pray. And as we prayed, the doorbell rang and my dad went to the door. Somebody he'd never seen in his entire life had cash. Handed it to my dad. I felt God lead me to give this to you. I'm not lying. That happened. Years later. Time and time again as I was growing up, I saw God provide. But we get ready to adopt our daughter from Uganda. And it's pricey and difficult. And I start to doubt. I forgot who God is. And I got anxious. How are we going to get this money? How's, how's it going to be provided? One day, right before we flew out the, 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 to Uganda, we were wondering what money we were going to spend on the plane, and the doorbell rang, and the last person I ever expected was standing there with 10 $100 bills, 1000 bucks, cold, hard cash. Put it in our hand. I don't know why, just felt like I should bring this by. Fast forward to now. Right? Remember, forget, remember, forget. You with me so far? Anybody living that life? Remember, forget, remember, forget. We get ready to plant this church. I'm, I'm remembering, I'm ready. We dive out there, right? The, the retirement fund is gone. The, the cush paycheck is gone. The severance slowly dries up. And if I'm being honest, I forgot again. But in the last like six weeks, God's grabbed me by the face time and time and time again and said, remember, as somebody you wouldn't expect, says, hey, here's a donation. And you know, they're strapped for cash already. As this room starts to fill up with some faces I expected and some I never did, and here we are together. And God's grabbing me by the face saying, remember, Right? Because I might be brought low again. I would say we can count. You say when that happens, remember. So maybe we be a people who like Jonah, remember, and might we practice it whether we're in our lowest places or life is just fine. So that when we are in the lowest of lows, it's a reaction to remember. We don't have to fight for it. It's just a response. We are people who, who remember. God, thank you so much that, that you can take that word and you can place it into each person's heart exactly as you want it to be known and seen and responded to. You can apply it even if my application isn't the application they need. You have the power and Holy Spirit, please, in your good grace, do it. Make this passage sink into every one of the hearts in this room for our transformation, for our sanctification, and make us more like Jesus. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.